20, or 26 and 27, something along those lines. But anyway, um, you know, I've had the, the privilege of traveling kind of different places in the world and be, I guess tasting different food and culture and, and all those different things. But, but also when you look around, you, you see people from all over the world. And I think we have a great privilege here in Greensboro to, to see people, to, to converse with people, to um, hang out with people, live with people who are different from different cultures. And I had this friend once, um, I still have a friend, but he's moved away. He's, he's not living in North Carolina in Greensboro anymore. But he, he told me, and, and I've heard this from numerous people who've come to the U.S., that it's much different than what you what what they imagined um, because of Hollywood and the movies and and different things. There's so much aspects of of life that are not always shown either. And and he, he was telling me that one of the things that surprised him most was going to the supermarket to the grocery store. And it wasn't necessarily the wealth of food and, and resources that are there, but it was all the instant food um, that he was just real. Uh, intrigued by. You have instant mashed potatoes. All you have to do is add water. You have instant breakfast. All you have to do is add water or uh, milk. You have baby powder. All you have to do is, is add a little bit of water and you got a baby. Um, <laughs> actually, he did tell me that. He was wondering if that was the case or not. Um, <laughs> more of a joke, I think, is what he was telling me. But he was just amazed by the amount of just instant products. And I think we live in a culture that's like that too, that, that we want to pop it in the microwave and, and have it within 30, 30 seconds or a minute. And if it takes much longer than that, is it even worth buying it at the store? And then if you overheat it, we're so impatient to, to, for it to cool down that we usually burn the roof of our mouth um, trying to go ahead and wolf it down real quick. But I think there's something that's there in regards to Christianity um, within our culture is that a lot of times we want results very instantaneously. And even the church has not always done the best job of, of teaching the idea of waiting, teaching the idea of patience, and what it means to be a true follower, a true disciple of Christ. A lot of times it's pray the sinner's prayer, it's get baptized, join the church, you're a full disciple. It's all in those steps. But yet we know discipleship is something that costs us. We know discipleship is something that, that doesn't happen overnight. We know discipleship, being a follower of Christ, not just being a disciple, but being a disciple maker, it takes time. We're, we're constantly being sanctified more and more into his image. And we've talked about that, being um, spiritually formed and what, the, what it looks like to, to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. Last week we talked a little bit um, about um, well, I was talking about um, discipleship in regards to our life groups, that a component of our life groups is, is not just to come and be a true follower and, and a true disciple, but to also be a disciple maker. And really, in essence, to be a true follower means that you're, you're making disciples. And, and to be a follower of Christ really equates to the fact that you are a disciple. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, what, is, um, what does he say? He says, follow me. He told them, and I will make you fisher of men or people. And, and this is what we talked last week. There's a promise that's here. He says, come and follow me. And then the promise says, I will make you into fishers of people, men and women. Now, we don't always like the backside of that uh, statement because it, it, requires that, um, it requires we lay down ourselves in a lot of ways. We want to come and follow but do we want to follow in a way and be a true follower and a true disciple so that God transforms us and uses us as his light or as his ambassador to go and make disciples? I want to let Jesus' words really speak for themselves this morning. Um, 
you know, my, my Bible here has the cost of following Jesus at the top. A lot of these will have the cost. A lot of headlines in the Bibles will say the cost of discipleship, true discipleship, and, and, and so forth, true, being a true disciple. But picking this up in chapter uh, 14 of Luke in the 25th verse, it says, Now great tra- crowds were traveling with him, with Jesus. So he turned and he said to them, I just want to set the scene a little bit. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. It's, it's Passover time. In just a few days, he's, he's going to um, be arrested. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be sentenced to crucifixion. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die for us. But at this point, that's, that's an eternity away in, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, not assuming that I know what the mind of Jesus is, but, but there's other things going on. And as he's going into Jerusalem, these crowds are following him. Now, Israel at this time of, of the year, or not necessarily the year, but when they're celebrating Passover, because it was such a great festival, Israel became very mobile. Most of Israel was moving towards Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so you can imagine it was a time of great excitement, a time of great celebration that we're going to remember what God did at the very first Passover in Egypt. And you can imagine that as you travel from your village or your city into Jerusalem, you're not just going with your, your, your core family, you're probably going with village members, other family members. Maybe the next village over where you have cousins and relatives, you're also meeting on the road, and you're walking towards Jerusalem. It's a time of great celebration. It's a time of, of fun. It's a party-like atmosphere. Not like Mardi Gras in, in that way, but, but like that in a, in a holy and righteous way as people were preparing themselves and their hearts. But it was a fun time. You know, I remember going to the beach a lot as a kid. Every summer we went, and um, I always remember riding in the back seat of, of one car with my cousin. And her and I, we would kind of exchange different music and, and different things. Even though we lived just up the street from each other, we didn't really hang out that much because he was a girl and I was a boy, um, that type of thing. But, but I remember always sitting in the back car, and that was fun because we would talk about different things. We'd say, hey, listen to this cassette tape or uh, listen to this 8-track or something like that. And um, it was just that exciting time. We'd stop and get watermelons on the way. We'd stop in Charlotte and get Krispy Kreme donuts. There's all these, these things that was about excitement. And this is what's happening on the road. And as they're going down the road, you, you can imagine that all of a sudden there's whispers, there's conversations saying, hey, Jesus, it's just behind us a few hundred yards. And you start to slow your pace just a little bit so Jesus can catch up to you and you can join those that are following. Or maybe you're out in front or maybe you're behind. And, and, and so you speed up your pace a little bit in order to catch up with Jesus. But we, we realize here in verse 25, great crowds were traveling with him. And as these great crowds in their excitement, some of them curious, just wondering, who is this Jesus person that we keep hearing about? Some wanting to say, well, well maybe I can get something if I get close. Maybe if I can just touch him, I can get something. Maybe he'll, he'll turn my bread and, and multiply it into something else. There's all these different reasons that they're following. And Jesus turns to them and he begins to talk about what it means to be a true follower, what it means to be a disciple. Verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Some pretty strong words. And we're going to find this morning that that most of the words Jesus is speaking is very strong. So put your seatbelt on if you haven't already. But he says, If I don't hate my mother and my father, my wife, 
my spouse, my children, even my own self, I can't be a disciple. Michael said it in that song. He said, I, I used to hate this song, but I imagine you're, you're kind of now saying you love it or you like it. See, we speak a lot of times hate and love as opposites. I love ice cream, but I hate broccoli. You know, we speak it that way. The crowds who were gathered with Jesus, they understood the way Jesus was using this. He wasn't using his opposite language, which we are so accustomed to. He was really using it as contrasting language, an exaggerated type of, of, of contrasting language. And basically, when you have a choice to make, there's kind of a hierarchy that, that exists when we make choices. What is, what is the best? What is the second best? And, and so forth. And as Jesus is saying, you got to hate your mom and your dad and, and your brother and your sister and your parents, or not your parents, your spouse and your children, even your own life. He's not saying something contrary to what he's already been saying, to love people, to care for people, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's already talked about loving, loving your parents and honoring your parents. But what he's saying is, when you make a choice, there's something that has to be in the superior position and something in the inferior. There's something that has to be number one, there's something that has to be number two. And he's saying, you cannot be my disciple unless I am number one, unless I'm in that superior position. And everything else then has to be submitted or subordinate or in the inferior position to that. That's nothing new for most of us. We've heard that many times. The Lordship of Christ, submitting to God. God, you've got to be number one. We've talked about, God, you're number one, and everything else falls below that, whether it's, it's family or it's job, whether it's church, ministry, all that. But God is number one. You know, to be a disciple is someone who would come and, and would learn from a teacher. We, you can see this in, in Jewish culture where, where someone would come and learn from the rabbi. But not just learn to gain knowledge, but also begin to put it into action. That's what a true disciple is, is the definition of, really. is one that doesn't just gain the knowledge, say, I know this, I know this, I know this, but then it begins to put it into action. We heard this message before. What does it mean to, to, to be a disciple? What's the cost of discipleship? What does it mean to be a true follower? We have this knowledge. We've heard sermons probably on this. We've heard sermons on taking up your cross and, and coming and following Christ. We've, we've heard all these things, laying it all down. God, you've got to be number one. We serve a father, and you are number one in my life. But what God is really saying and challenging us, I believe, is to examine where our actions are with that. That's not to put anything on us in a guilt way, but it's to say, Lord, are you really number one? Yes, I confess that, but do my actions line up with that? What it means is to be a lover of God's word. It's to take the word of God here and say, I'm a lover of this word. It means this is a sword that many times it's going to pierce. It protects. It will provide food. I mean, it will do a lot of things, but a sword also pierces. And allowing the Word of God and our love for the Word of God to begin to pierce it. That's what a true follower does. Not just say, oh, I love the Word of God, God's Word, and throw out a verse every now and then. But allowing it to penetrate deep into our soul. There's things that I read many times and I'm like, hey, I do not like that. I'm just not going to do that. Well, am I a true follower? Because a true follower is going to say, this is God's Word. And what it says is what I'm going to align my life up with. I'm not going to pick and choose different places. You know, I remember talking to someone one time, and they said, well, I always just stay in the book of James. I'm like, James is great. 
But there's a lot of Old Testament stuff that's great. There's a lot of gospel stuff that's great. There's a book of Revelation that's great. When it all comes together, it paints such a beautiful big picture. But to be a lover of God's word is how we begin to put it in action. It's also having a servant's heart. It's putting no confidence in the flesh. It's being men and women who are not entrapped by bitterness. It's ones who have learned to disciple, not disciple, but discipline themselves in certain ways, whether it's coming to prayer or to fast or to read God's word. It's those who have said, I'm governed by God, by the Holy Spirit, under the lordship of Christ. These are just some of the marks that are there of true disciples. But my point is we can't just have a confession without the action. He goes here into verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, Luke's already talked about this to a certain degree. When I say talk, he's already written about this in chapter 9, about bearing your own cross, coming and following Christ, denying yourself. But I just want to say one thing about this is, you know, when, when someone was sentenced to be crucified, which was a common thing in the Roman world, and you can see this if you watch the Passion movies or, or anything dealing with Easter that, that kind of reenacts this, this scene, is, is you see Jesus carrying the cross beam of the cross. And you see the thieves where it being kind of tied around their wrist to help them carry it. And they're carrying it through the streets of Jerusalem or, or through any city where this crucifixion is taking place. But, but for that scene with, in the Passion where Jesus is carrying it, and the thieves are carrying it, they're going from Jerusalem outside the city up to Golgotha, it's a display that they're a criminal. It's a display that they're guilty. It's a display to all the people around them that they've done something they shouldn't have done. And it's also a display to those people as a reminder not to do this. Now, for us as believers, it's not a display of our guilt. It's not a display of any of that. It's a display of our commitment, that we're willing to bear that cross and everything that comes with it, not just the, the abundant life that's promised, but also the suffering and the challenge and everything in between that will come. But we're saying, I am committed to Christ, and I'm willing to display that. I'm willing to display it in the good times and in the bad times, when I want to and when I don't want to. I'm committed. And you're making a public confession of that as well. Now, how much damage has been done by those who have said, I'm a follower, I'm a disciple, but are not really carrying that cross beam? It's all in word, it's all in knowledge, but it's not always in action. Now, look, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to fall flat, flat on our face many times, and there's ways that we get back up and we confess and we say, Look, I'm imperfect. He's not looking for that perfection. But yet, he wants our confession to line up with our actions as much as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Jesus goes on to tell two parables. And, you know, sometimes at a casual reading, and I've done this many times, is, is I look at both of these parables and I'm like, well, they're really the same. They're about counting the cost. But they're also different. They are about counting the cost, but they're different. Verse 28, Jesus says, For which of you... Wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, building a tower, again, Jesus' crown knew exactly what he was talking about because it was common. 
The city walls had watchtowers. The vineyards, many vineyards had watchtowers. There's watchtowers and, and other towers throughout um, Israel and, and throughout the land. So they knew it cost you a little bit of money to build a tower. And who wouldn't calculate the cost? Because if you start building this tower and you can't finish, the embarrassment, the scorn, the ridicule that you're going to face. So no one would do it. So what Jesus is saying here in terms of discipleship is you need to count the cost. Can you afford to be my disciple? Are you willing to pay that price to be my disciple and what it means to be a true follower? It means laying down your will. It means surrendering, which kind of goes into this, this second part of, or the second parable. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the, others, or while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. See, the second one is about power and capacity. It's about this king who has 10,000 troops, and in the capacity of his 10,000 and the power of his 10,000, can he go out and wage war against one who has twice as much power and capacity as he? And as he realizes, I don't have the power and capacity, He's going, to, he's going to send out a delegation and he's going to take the offer of peace, the offer of surrender. And this is really about us standing against God. Can we stand against God in our power and in our capacity? And if we sit down and we calculate it correctly, then we realize we can't stand against God. This is not God with his arms crossed being a dictator. It's, it's just the flat-out truth that he is the all-powerful, he's the almighty, he's the creator of the universe, and we are the creation and we aren't all-powerful, and we aren't almighty. And the question really begs is, can we afford not to be a follower of Christ? Can we afford not to stand with God, and, and, and really, we can't afford to stand against God? He's saying, are we willing to take the conditions of peace and surrender? Are we willing to lay our lives down? Are we willing to say, no longer my will, Lord, let it be your will? You know, when we... Um, when we go to the movies, we, we're willing to pay the price of admission. You know, maybe, maybe you don't like the previews. Maybe you don't watch the credits at the end. Maybe you get up and use the bathroom in the middle, and it costs you two minutes of the movie. But when you go to the box office, you don't say, well, because I'm going to do these things, then um, why don't you knock 82 cents off the price? Anyone ever done that? Why? Because it's ridiculous. Because the person at the box office is saying, no, it's $10. This isn't a negotiation. You either pay the $10, the price of admission, or you just don't watch the movie. In essence, this is what God's saying. But we like to negotiate with God. God, I'll let it cost me this much. We kind of draw a little line. You know, we've talked about stepping out of the boat for a while. It's like, I'll get over to the edge, but I'm not putting my foot in the water. Are we willing to pay the price of a mission? I love this with Jesus, that he's not pulling any punches. He doesn't say, come, give your life, and I'll tell you what you need to do. He puts it all up front. These great crowds that are there, that are curious, some wanting different things, some with, with a pure heart, and he says, this is what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. Now, let me also tell you or ask you this question. Can you afford not to follow? In your own power, and your own strength, can you go and do it? 
Now, when you look around today and you look around the world, you see a lot of people doing very well without God. But it's going to catch up to them at some point. And there's a lot of things we can't measure with that. We can measure wealth, we can measure success, but we can't always measure peace or hope or eternity. Jesus says in 33, verse 33, he says, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Can we say yard sale? (laughs) No. Jesus again saying, look, it's got to cost you something. It's got to cost you something. Again, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He knows in a few days what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be falsely accused. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to go and be crucified. He's going to have nails driven into his, his hands and to his feet. He's saying, I'm willing to lay down my life so that we may have life. Are you willing to follow with the same type of response? Heavy words. Very heavy words. And again, I think we've all heard this in some capacity. I believe this life group material that we're going to go through is going to challenge us in ways. And I think, you know, as as I've been praying for the church and, and we haven't had an elders meeting Monday night and extended one for a while and there was some discussion that we had, and there was something that came up in, in a discussion and in, in kind of where we are as elders and, and what God's doing in our lives, but just a hunger for God. And, 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 and I believe there's no one here who doesn't have a strong hunger for God. It is, is inside each and every one of us, otherwise you wouldn't be here. I believe that. There's that hunger that is there. But sometimes there's a busyness that competes with us. Man, there's so many opportunities. Yes, we have to go and make money to pay bills. There, there's that component. There's, there's other things that, that, that are, I guess, obligations. But again, there's some things that we elevate into a superior position or right at the cusp of it that invades and competes with God and with us being a true follower. We we negotiate the movie price many times. We had this happen with us. We, I mean, it's, it's a constant battle in our household. We've, you know, four kids, and we've got two playing soccer in, in two different schedules and, and a crazy athletic director who just scheduled all these games. And so we're, we got something almost every night, it seems like. But we had this happen a few years ago where this opportunity came up after Josiah played some all-star baseball one summer to do this travel team. And it was a great opportunity. All these great kids were going to play, and, and they weren't going to play that much, but yet they were going to do all this coaching and teaching, and, and these kids were going to go somewhere. And we, we took the bait on that, even though we didn't fully believe that Josiah was going to be this Major League Baseball player at that time. I mean, I'm sure he could have made it to that place. But we realized it began to stress and put a lot of stuff upon our family because all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and I work on Sundays, really. I mean, not that this is a job, but, you know, there's an obligation for me to be here most Sundays. And we realized about a year into it, look, this is weighing a lot on our family. It's, 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 our family dynamic is interesting. We're not doing the things that we said we valued. God was getting pushed over to the side just a little bit. Things and opportunities that came about. But again, it was an opportunity. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? 
I remember that last game, we got in the car, Josiah and I didn't, Josiah said, this isn't fun anymore. Josiah, I don't know if you remember that or not. But I said, well, let's, let's not do it. We'd already decided not to do it anymore, Carrie and I. But we let him believe it was his decision. Confessions, confessions of a dad in church, right? <laughs> but we realized, look, there's a lot of great opportunities and the lies and things that we bought into, it's an opportunity of lifetime. He'll never be at another level where, where these kids will be. Do you know this past year, him and Nathan played on the same middle school team? And um, he played two, two, two teams that had some of these players, or at least one player from, from this team that he would have played on, and he was at the same level. I was like, really? We would have spent thousands of dollars. My point is... How many things are there? And look, I'm not against doing travel sports. I'm not against doing dance classes. I'm not against doing anything like that because my kids are in those things. The question is, is God staying in that superior position? And these other things begin to supplement that. I've got something every night, every afternoon of the week because of soccer with these guys. But God is still in a superior position because I believe. Because we make great effort to make that work. And that's really what, what this word is, is talking about in, a lot, in, in most ways here. Is are we willing to pay the price to be a disciple? Even in the business of life. Even learning how to navigate all those things. He ends by saying this in verse 34. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? If it isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile, they throw it out. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Jesus ends here by talking about salt, a great commodity in the time of Jesus. In fact, people sometimes were paid with salt. And I didn't do research on this, but I heard one time someone say that we even get our word salary from the word salt. If I'm wrong on that, then please, am I right? Yes, true. So, so I was right in hearing what that person said before. That's how great of a commodity salt was. Now, the Israelites, they, they, they mine their salt. You know, a lot of times they would take the water, not the Israelites, but other, other communities or, or countries, nations, they would, they would evaporate the water and thus you have your salt. They would mine the salt. They would scrape off the top layer because the air had been exposed to it. It lost its saltiness. So they'd scrape it off and they would, they would begin to, to dig and mine it that way. And again, I think we've heard maybe a number of, of sermons on salt. It's a preservative. It gives flavor. It gives all those things. Salt has many, many uses. But to me, what, what Jesus is saying, or, or at least one application here, is if we are not committed as a true follower, if we're not committed as a true disciple, we have no saltiness. We can, we can confess all this stuff, but if our actions are not lined up, we have no saltiness. In fact, one commentary I read said this. It says, Jesus is saying that if anyone attempts to journey with him without a thorough commitment to God's purposes, then they are not worthy to be called a disciple. He goes on to say this. It says, they're useless to the advancement and building of the kingdom. Most commentators aren't supposed to give their opinion like that. But I thought, wow, it's pretty strong. Now, we know we're not useless because God loves us, but yet there is an expectation that he has for those who said they will follow. I love that about God, that he said there is an expectation. 
If you've ever been on a team, you've ever been part of, of, of something, whether it's in sports or, or whether it's in the arts or, 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 or at work, there's a team culture that you kind of buy into. There's an there's a expectation. You're going to come on time. You're going to practice. You're going to do this, this, and this. And if you're not, you're either off the team. There's an expectation that God has given us to be followers, to be true followers. And there's a lot of things in this world that are, that are really good. You know, sin is really fun sometimes, and it's really entertaining. And there's a great temptation that's there if we're just real about it. There's a lot of things that come, and the enemy kind of hangs out as a care. But there's nothing better than following Christ. Sometimes that's hard day to day because we don't always see the fruit that we've talked about, the invisible things that are happening, the invisible things that God is doing. We want the visible. But I love what Paul says. Paul, who, who you know, in a religious way was trying to, to do the right thing and persecute Christians. But he says in Philippians verse 7, he says, but everything that was a gain to me, the knowledge, the status, all of that that was gained to me, I consider to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of, this, of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own or a righteousness of, of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Wow. Powerful words. Everything that was gain, I consider loss for Christ. Matthew reminds us of what Jesus said. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to us. Seek first. And he will add everything else that we need. Are we willing? Are we willing to follow that? at that commitment level. Asking ourselves, what will it cost us? But also asking, can I afford not to let it cost me everything? Knowing that we have a great example of Christ who let it cost him everything, even his life. My challenge to us is that as we go into life groups, we're going to hear, we're going to read, we're going to see a lot of familiar stuff what it means to be a disciple, how to study the Bible, what it means to be in the church. Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit open our hearts and challenge us on some things? We say, Lord, we want to grow. Lord, we want to be a greater follower. We want to be a greater disciple. As we open our Bibles every day, are we willing to let this word challenge us? Are we willing to let others challenge us? Maybe there's some some things, some habits that we have sometimes that we don't see. Are we willing to let someone speak into those? Are we willing to go to the Lord in prayer and as we hear his voice, put those things into action? Those are the things I want you to take before God and for the Holy Spirit, to let that be your prayer. I'm not going to tell you, yes, you need to read your Bible, yes, you need to pray. What does all that look like for you? And there's things that are in that superior position or, or, or vying for that. What do you need to do to make sure God is there? 
Lord, we pray this morning. We thank you for your words, Jesus. Not easy words, but I thank you for these words, Lord, that you lay it out, the commitment that you want from us. What it means to be a true follower, it's clear. What it means to be a disciple, it's clear. Thank you for that. Lord, these are not easy words to read, easy words to put into action. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill us, that you strengthen us, that you empower us to keep you in the proper position, to keep you superior, keep you at number one. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here that the busyness of life, the ploys of the enemy, the words of others that we hear that that sometimes try to take our attention away from you. I pray that these things will not distract us. Lord, help us to be true disciples. Lord, we know you're not aiming for, for perfection. You're just aiming for commitment. Let us be committed, wholeheartedly, fully committed. Have your way with us. Lord, let us be able to utter these words of Paul. Not just read them, but to utter them. That everything that was gained to me I now consider loss because of you, Christ Jesus. Because of you, Christ Jesus. Have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. For our prayer ministers to come forward this morning, if you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. We are dismissed.